This week's Velonews Podcast is presented by VeloFix, a mobile bike shop that brings bike maintenance to your door. For a chance to win a free major tune-up, as well as a new Jaguar cable kit and a pair of road or mountain bike pedals, head to velofix.com slash velonews. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Velo News Podcast. I am Kaylee Fretz. I am not Fred Dreyer. Fred Dreyer is... Where is Fred Dreyer, Spencer? Mm, I think he's doing like a Cat 3 training camp to get ready for a big... Uh, Very important. A big office park crit that's coming up. <laughs> Probably like put in way too many miles and get overtrained. Mm, maybe maybe a little knee problem. Ah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Who knows what'll happen? Anyway, Fred is gone this week. We're not really entirely sure where he went. Uh... I'm, I'm here. Spencer's here. We also have Dan Cavallari here, our tech editor, because we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things today. We're going to start with the Tour de Suisse. Then we're going to talk about Tour de France tech after a little while. Then we're going to talk about the Tour de Pharmacy spoof movie. With Is that a new Valon race? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's, uh, a, that's ooh. a little close to home. A little okay. too soon. Too no, soon. Too I think we need another, another decade for that one, Spencer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Torta Pharmacy, which is this ridiculous film coming out on HBO in the middle of July. And finally, Spencer, you have an interview for us. Yeah, that's right, Kaylee. I sat down with Jeff Byers, a former NFL player who's now involved in the bike industry, does a lot of riding. I met, I met him at uh, Sea Otter Classic, did a big ride with him and a bunch of other people. And a uh, real interesting guy, and uh, he's got a very unique perspective coming from that side of the professional world of sports. Awesome. Looking forward to that one. Uh, before we step off into the show this week, I had a book land on my desk just this morning, actually, from mm. our friends at VeloPress. It's called Descent, My Epic Fall from Cycling Superstardom to Doping Dead End. Great, great title. Great title. Uh, it is Thomas Decker's Tell All. We have heard bits of this before. It was uh, written in Dutch before, but we had some translations done. I'm looking forward to reading this one. I might have some things to say about it in next week next week's episode. Should be juicy. Should be juicy. As I said, we know most of the things that are in it. Uh, there's definitely there's no coincidence that it, the English version is dropping. Uh, right as the Tour de France starts. Mm. <laughs> they, t- they often tend mm-hmm. to do that. But anyway, I'll give that one a read and let you guys know whether it's worth picking up. But first, let's talk about the Tour de Suisse. Uh, it finished up last weekend. We have, well, it, it was not the best race in the world, to be perfectly honest. Uh, a lot of the major GC contenders for the Tour de France avoided the Tour de Suisse this year. However, we can take a couple things out of this out of this bicycle race. Yeah, I think it depends on what you look for in a race. If you're looking for a real showdown of the GC guys, this is not the place to do it. Not this year, anyway. There, there are some riders. There were some riders in Tour de Suisse who were gunning for GC. They fought for it. Uh, it just uh, didn't end up being a particularly compelling back and forth. And you know, Kaylee, I think part of that is due to the the way those roads are. They're they're pretty long, gradual climbs. They don't provoke the same explosive racing you get in like Spanish or French or Italian roads. Yeah, I mean that part of the Alps, the the roads are just sort of they're engineered to be a little bit more consistent. How Swiss of them? them. How very Swiss? Very of them. Swiss of them. Completely Swiss of them. Uh, I have a I have a hot take. I have a theory about this. Lay it on me. I'm gonna lay it on you. So in the past, I felt like the Tour de Suisse was a way for GC riders to avoid Chris Froome. 
a very, very strong, very powerful Chris Froome coming off of major victories throughout the spring. I feel like some of his competitors went to Tour de Suisse, so they did not have to face him at the Dauphiné and essentially did not have to face the music a few weeks before the Tour de France. This year, maybe because they sensed a bit of vulnerability in the defending Tour de France champion, they all went to the Dauphiné. Like, pretty much every single GC contender went to the Dauphiné. That suggests to me that maybe they weren't as scared of, of Chris Froome this year as in the past. Right, and Froome has yet to win a race this year, so it's been a quieter start than usual uh, for his season. And uh, this gets back to something we talked about prior to the Dauphiné, which is the old game of poker that happens in the month before Tour de France where nobody really wants to put their cards on the table. And uh, the GC contenders, whether they are feeling good or whether they're feeling bad, regardless, I don't think they necessarily want their rivals to see where they're at just because the element of surprise is kind of valuable when you get to that first mountain stage of the tour, uh, which actually will come early this year in stage five where they'll go up the Planche de Belfi. Yep. And we will be doing a, well, sort of a full preview of the Tour de France, I think, next week. Oh, yes. Uh, as the tour is about to kick off i'll actually i'll be leaving for france the day after that so we'll be recording on monday and i you'll I be packing out, your socks while you talk packing on the my mic. socks yep. while i'm making the podcast exactly exactly i head out on tuesday uh andrew hood will also be at the tour for us and then actually fred is coming over for the second half i get to hang out with fred in a car for a couple weeks looking forward to that one seems, seems like a bad idea <laughs> uh okay so kaylee i will say there are two big names that that came to the front in Tour de Suisse that I think we'll, we'll see them win some some stages at the Tour de France. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yes. So, I mean, Peter Sagan and Rowan Dennis. Sagan and Rowan Dennis, I yep. think, are really good picks. Uh, Sagan wins two stages in Tour de Suisse. That brings his total up to 15 stage races at Tour de Suisse. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like child's play for him at this point. Um, <laughs> but th- th- I mean, there were some legit sprinter puncher riders at the Tour de Suisse this year, though. So to be fair... It wasn't like he was just walking away with it all. I mean, Michael Matthews, he won a stage in the early part of the week in Tour de Suisse. And, of course, uh, you know, Greg Van Avermet was there too, but he didn't really factor in any of the sprints. Um, But, of course, Sagan, just always the man to watch in July. Uh, I don't think anyone would bet bet against him for for the green jersey, but question is how many stages can you win along the way to get that jersey so i've been doing a little bit of research and actually uh, there's, there's a story coming out on velonews.com yeah, stay tuned for that week, yeah uh in terms of how many stages sagan could win in this tour de france uh it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> if he if he gets lucky and he can take some of the big bunch sprints as well as those sort of halfway sprint stages the ones that might be a little tricky for the sprinters that he usually excels at yeah, we could see Peter Sagan take more than a handful of, of victories at the Tour de France this year, which... We're not going to give away, though. you got to read the article. Nope, got to read the article. We're not going to give away exactly that number. how many, yeah. and that means I need to finish writing <laughs> the article <laughs> as well. I will, I will get right on that. Uh, Rowan Dennis, he yeah. was the other major, major victory to also come out Also won two stages. Also won two stages. Both of the time trials. Looked... I mean, he just he, he he absolutely destroyed both of those time trials. I think that he is now our number one favorite for the opening TT in Dusseldorf and the first yellow jersey of the Tour de France. Yeah, you know, he did it in 2015, and it's a very similar race, I'd say. That's for that first stage. Dusseldorf will be a 14-kilometer race, and um, back in 2015, it was a 13.8K time trial around mm-hmm. Utrecht. So, so almost exactly the same. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, so... Man, Rowan Dennis is really feeling like the new man for time trials, isn't he? 
we, we can still talk about guys like Tony Martin, but uh, man, Rowan Dennis just looking like he's top, top form right now. Yeah, there was a brief period of time when Rowan was talking about potentially looking at a GC kind of morphology. Uh, you know, I know that his, his coach... Uh, Neil Henderson here in town. We chatted about that a little bit um, shortly after after Dennis's attempt at the hour record, uh, successful attempt at the hour record. That seems to be put on hold, at least for now. He's definitely not thinning out the way that we would expect to see if he's trying to pull a Tom Dumoulin. But, uh, you know, I think he's kind of found his niche. And I think that, you know, go. <laughs> I really wish he'd, he'd been able to finish that Giro this spring, though. You know, yeah. in May. He was, he was BC, excuse me, he was BMC's legit GC option. Next, right. next to TJ Van Garderen. And, uh, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done. It's really too bad he crashed out. Yeah. Um, but more to come from him. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, I think he really put, a, put his flag in the ground at Tour de Suisse. One last thing to talk about from Tour de Suisse, uh, and then we're going to put this, honestly, uh, less than stellar bike race behind us. <laughs> oh, that's, come on. Give the Swiss guys a break. <gasps> All right. Sorry. Uh, no, it was actually a pretty good bike race. No, let's talk about... It had its moments. It had its moments. Yeah. One of its moments, Larry Warbass. This was a great stage. This was a fantastic stage. Stage four. Yep. And uh, Larry Warbass, American rider, he he soloed to victory out of a breakaway group that everyone got caught except for him, and he just fended off the GC riders on that final summit finish. And, uh, man, it's great to see him win a race. That was his first win as a pro racer. His first win as a pro racer and also the first World Tour win for his team, Aqua Blue Sport. Uh, he was riding for EM Cycling for the last couple of years, took a step down from the World Tour to Aqua Blue, which is, you know, always a bit of a bit of a risk. Uh, that team is trying to work its way up to the World Tour and has ambitions to be in the Tour de France. I think it's four years from now is what they've said. Uh, and Larry, I know he, he's on a two-year contract, so that speaks just to his confidence in this team. Um, a lot of times when guys drop from the World Tour down to a Conti or Pro Conti team, they'll just do a one-year contract hoping to get back to the World Tour. But I think that Larry was, wow, he's, he, like I said, he was confident in the Aqua Blue story uh, and in the backing of that team sticking around, which is, is half the battle within pro cycling. So, yeah, big moment for Larry. He was uh, he got a little teary. He did in the in the finish line interview, it's which nice I think everybody some, loved. Yeah, it's nice to see some emotion. You want to see these guys like want it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's always disappointing when they just have some kind of milk toast comment at the end of a brutal stage that they won. Yeah, it's like get, but you just won a, a, a world tour race, man. Come it should on. be exciting. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you know the guys that win a lot. Maybe they get a little jaded. And, I guess and, you know who doesn't. Yeah. Uh, if you when, get tired of that, you do something all the time. I have no sympathy. Right. <laughs> Not a whole lot of sympathy for people that win too much. Yeah. Uh, but Aqua Blue, Aqua Blue is killing it though. They got the uh, mountains classification title as well. In Tour de Suisse with Lasse Norman Hansen. So good job. Good Aqua showing Blue. for them at the at the Swiss. Series. Good job, Larry Warbass. We're, well, I'm personally a big a big Larry fan. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a really weird, so he had to apply the Giro last year for a very strange ailment where, um, I forget, I think he was he was getting a massage or doing a stretch or yeah, something like that. Yeah, he pulled the muscle when he was and stretching, he like, right? And he, well, he, his part of his leg went numb. Oh. He couldn't feel his, I think it was his left leg. Um, I was checking in on, on him every morning at the Giro and, and basically his doctor just made him go home. They're like, you can't keep riding if you can't feel half your, 
half your legs. So it's hey, good to see Larry. That's why you don't stretch, man. <laughs> don't ever do that. It's bad, bad for you. Cat three tip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> little mini ask a cat three. If you don't just stretch. Move. It'll make you weak <laughs> or hurt. <laughs> I heard before that Cavendish doesn't stretch because he says it would make him less like springy. That's the old. That's such an old school. <laughs> like, uh, don't let a cat into your room; it'll steal your breath. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, congratulations hey. to Larry Warbass. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to Aqua Blue. Let's move on. All right to the Tour de France. Yeah. Uh, we're actually not going to talk about, you know, bike racers at the Tour de France quite yet. Psych. Psych. <laughs> we, that's for next week. We have Dan Cavallari in the room here, our Velo News tech editor. He's been lurking. And stand in Fred. Stand in Fred. Yeah. Uh, and we want to talk Tour de France tech with Dan. There's been a bunch of things that popped up over the last couple of weeks. The Dauphiné, Tour de Suisse are often where uh, manufacturers will release new product to the public's eye because they want to get some racing in uh, before the tour. And they're also, you know, they're savvy, savvy marketers and they want a little bit of buzz before the tour starts to ramp up. Tell the brand's story. Tell the brand's story. Yeah. Right. Storyteller. Got to tell the brand's story. (laughs) So Dan, yes. What have we seen? What's new? Well, so uh, if you remember last year, if you remember last year, uh, the the big story at the Tour de France was that there really wasn't much of a tech story. Uh, it was a lot of new paint jobs and things like that. Uh, this year, we're already seeing some new bike models uh, trickle out. Details are thin on, on all of them. Uh, we've seen a new specialized tarmac, uh, which is dramatically different from the tarmacs that we've seen in the past. We've got some some dropped seat stays uh, and some more aero shaping. It's, it's becoming more of a combination of an aero bike with, a, with an all-rounder. So that's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, up close and personal. Details, again, are thin. And we actually, we haven't even gotten confirmation that it is a tarmac. But if you know, you can make assumptions based on the. But UCI. we're not stupid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well so I'm a little. A little. Uh, <laughs> they could call it something else. Yeah, I mean, they can certainly they can certainly change names and things like that. Uh, so tarmac, uh, that'll be interesting to see for sure. Uh, we've also seen whispers of a new uh, Trek bike coming out. Uh, again, details are almost non-existent on that at this time. Uh, and I've heard some whispers that Argon 18 is going to have a new bike. Mm. Uh, so this is the time of year where you start seeing, you know, sort of the leaked photos and the riders kind of on new stuff. Uh, but, but little confirmation, little details. Uh, when we actually get to the tour, my expectation is that we'll get some confirmation on those bike models. But we'll also start to see smaller things like helmets and shoes and those sorts of things. Uh, Last year, we saw a new helmet from Giant, for example. It was an Aero Road helmet. I expect to see more of that this year um, and, and sort of filling in those gaps where, you know, the, the brands make the big splash with the bikes, and then we start seeing smaller tech. It looked like Alberto Contador was wearing a new Trek helmet at the uh, Dauphiné, right. if mm-hmm. I wasn't right. mistaken. Kind of looked like maybe it had a little fewer events than the average uh, uh, road helmet that they make, maybe something, uh, an in-betweener type uh, aero helmet akin to maybe a Giro Synth. Yeah, it definitely had a very uh, similar styling, uh, and but but it seems like they're, they're sort of cornering maybe a little bit more uh, aero styling than they have in the past. Brand new BMC. I think we saw a brand new BMC somewhere. We did. It's a new team machine, and uh, actually we, we have one here in the office. Uh, have not ridden it yet. Mm. Uh, had a little 
little shipping mishap. Thank you, UPS. Mm. Uh, but it is a, a new bike uh, from BMC. It looks looks pretty similar to the old uh, Team Machine, uh, but there are some some subtle changes that I have not dove into yet. Uh, but expect to see uh, BMC riding those bikes uh, this year at the tour. What are some of the most significant differences right off the top for that bike? So one of the things that I first noticed when I pulled it out of the box was they have a new. So it was broken. A part that I beat. <laughs> right, yeah, it was broken. Uh, custom custom breakage. Uh, uh, flex. Flex seats days. Uh, so again, it's it, it it keeps it. It's in keeping with former uh, BMC team machines where the the seat posts or the uh, excuse me the seat stays are dropped. Uh, that that aids in a little bit of compliance, but it's also an aero feature. Uh, there is a new redesigned stem uh, that's uh, it, it sort of hedges into that integrated world, but it's also still got some faceplate bolts, so you can make adjustments. <laughs> you should be saying yay. Uh, Boo! No, <laughs> I don't like integration. Yeah. So is the, the integration is an aero move, right? Yeah, I mean anything you can do to to sort of reduce uh, cylindrical shapes at the front of the bike is is a good aero move, and so okay. I, and, you know integrate sort of reduces uh, unnecessary parts, can reduce a little bit of weight, but most importantly, it's reducing aerodynamic drag. Uh, and a dramatic increase in pain in the ass. It, it is It is that. So if Why you're not? a home mechanic. <laughs> you just have Velofix do it for you. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Velofix will take care of you. Mm, good. Wow. That was such good content Seamless. synergy. Seamless. <laughs> good job, team. Uh, all right. I, I, we spotted, well, actually, I chatted with a, a guy from Mavic Neutral Support, uh, Many will remember the the Chris Froome running incident on Mont Ventoux last year and how he got on a Mavic bike with the wrong pedals and the wrong saddle height and he just looked like a monkey trying to ride a bike in a circus. And somehow they piped Yakety Sax into <laughs> the speakers at Live. the Tour de France finish line. It was amazing. Just on cue. Anyway, the Ma- Mavic has been has been trying to figure out how to solve this problem first uh, the, the pedal issue i think is a relatively easy one to solve they're going to pay more a little bit more attention to uh what pedals the gc riders are running uh and maybe not put mavic pedals on the bike when no, none of the teams are running mavic pedals uh they also, also have french another, teams maybe no like literally literally last year none of the teams are running the right oh, pedal really? for Ooh. on the bike that uh, Froome got on yeah. which is a little bit embarrassing for everybody so, Dan, yes. you've been doing some research. Yes. What, they have one more rather interesting uh, solution to the neutral bike problem. Well, they actually have a few, uh, but the biggest uh, solution that they've come up with is uh, Mavic will be teaming up with Kindshot KS to uh, have dropper posts on all the neutral support bikes. Oh. Yeah, and so... For our roadies out there, explain what a dropper a post dropper is. A dropper post is a height-adjustable seat post. So basically what, what each rider is going to be able to do is hop on that bike and adjust by pulling on a lever that's mounted underneath the saddle to get it exactly where they need it to ride correctly. Uh, and it's like, what, four or five inches of, of movement, right? There's going to be a little bit less than that on, on these ones, I believe. Uh, I do have specific numbers, and I'll be publishing an article on this, so I'll have those specific numbers in the article. Uh, uh But they, the idea here is that uh, every rider who needs a neutral support bike, which historically has not been many, they don't use... Uh, neutral support 
bikes very often. Yeah, usually uh, there's a team car that's ready to right. give them a team bike, isn't there? Exactly, exactly. So it's actually a pretty rare occurrence for this to happen, but, Newton, but Mavic still wants to be prepared because they don't want another Froom fiasco like last year. So the idea is they get them on the bike, uh, the rider can then adjust the saddle, and the, t- the neutral support car will pull up alongside the rider in case the rider needs further guidance on how to get that saddle height where they need it. Mm. So it's it's quick, it's easy, uh, it's, a, it's a no-brainer solution that I think uh, is going to be very beneficial for anybody. But in particular, uh, Mavic has stressed that they want to be prepared should any of the GC contenders need a neutral support bike. So in that vein, what they intend to do is have three bikes uh, set up close to the geometry of the top three GC guys hmm. on any stage. So if if one of those GC guys needs a new bike and it ends up being a neutral support bike, they'll be able to hop on and the geometry will already be pretty close. The hmm. saddle height, the bars, things like that. Um, there will also be bikes ready to go with the three most common pedal types. So that's uh, look, speed play, and, and Shimano. Shimano. So those three will be ready to go should a rider go down. You don't have to worry about what Froome had to go through, which is getting on a bike and it's the wrong pedal system, so you mm-hmm. can't really pedal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of really smart, small details. Um, there's a couple other things that they'll be changing, like the number of bikes on the car and the number of wheels in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, the, the the wholesale takeaway here is they don't, they don't want the GC to be affected by a neutral support not blunder, but just you know, equipment. shortcoming. Yeah, in, in, shortcoming. Yeah, yeah, equipment and you can't plan for everything. But exactly, exactly. It does sound like they're getting a little closer though with these. Uh, it, it's these a smart plan. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're getting one step closer to having a enduro stage as part of the Tour de France with these <laughs> dropper posts. <laughs> More dropper posts in road racing. Yeah. yeah. Specialized just released a diverge with a dropper post. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's it's infiltrating, it's infiltrating <laughs> the road world. Dropper posts are sweet. I, I would basically refuse to ride them mountain bike with that one at this point so mm-hmm. big fan all right the uh the elephant of the room for the last like four years in the tech world in pro cycling is disc brakes is anybody going to be running them at the tour de france uh or are we just continuing onward with our rim brake life <laughs> uh i think the latter i think we're not going to see uh, any regular disc brake use this year, we might see something, but my, my feeling right now is that for a race like the tour, uh, I can't see any of the big contenders considering this. And, uh, Mavic is, uh, in their neutral support, uh, revamp has considered this as well. Um, they are ready for this if people choose to ride discs, but they're not, I don't think they're thinking that anybody's going to ride discs in this year's tour either. Um, they have made contingencies. You know, when you switch to to discs, there's a lot of logistics that go with that. It's not as simple as just saying, "Hey, now we're going to ride discs instead of rim brakes." It's a matter of changing all the fittings on the team cars to carry extra wheels and bikes because those are all through axles. Uh, it's a matter of getting whole new wheel sets in, and there's there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just a matter of switching. So. Uh, I haven't heard anything uh, that indicates any teams are really strongly considering it. I would I would expect to see maybe some disc brakes on some training rides, things like that. Um, but I would be surprised if we saw anybody running disc brakes at the tour this year. I'm putting ten dollars on somebody will run them at some point. I'm pretty sure someone is going <laughs> to ride them in the tour. I've definitely been he- hearing whispers. Whispers. It won't, but it won't be a GC guy. Right, I think yeah. you're right. Um, yeah, anybody whose entire race could be ruined by one flat tire is yeah. probably unlikely. 
to but run this race. Some of the guys really do like it better, though. There's yeah. and um, I, there certainly are riders, pro riders that I think want to ride disc brakes. It's just some of it comes down to what the, what's best for their team. And at the end of the day, it's a team sport, and you don't want to be kind of that guy who inconveniences the rest of your fellow riders, or uh, you know could cause a problem if for instance your leader needs a wheel from you and it happens right. to be a disc wheel and here's a here's an interesting side bit to that is if one of those guys does get a flat and needs a neutral support wheel the uh, uci has said that the standard rotor size is now 160 mm -hmm. so if say for example you know rider a is riding a 140 uh and gets a flat and the neutral support is the only guy around, neutral support can't help him. Yeah, I, I'm pr I doubt anyone's going to start one of those races with the wrong rotor size, though. I think they recognize that and will be will be careful to right. make sure that right. they're All the teams have been notified. Compliant, that, yeah. yeah. That they, yeah. they know that it's 160. But, but it for, is funny, though, because some bikes do come stock with 140s road bikes sure. because uh, it's a little lighter weight. Exactly. I was going to yeah. say, I mean, a lot of riders just want to save that weight. Yeah. You know? And if yeah. they know that a team car is going to be nearby, why not? Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. No discs. <laughs> I mean, this, this is. I mean, this is at, at the end of the day. Like we have all this, we have all these academic debates about disc brakes and whether they're better and how they're better and why they're better and safety, safety, and also. The, and at the end of the day, like if the riders want to ride them, they'll ride them. If the riders don't want to ride them, they won't ride them. It's true. Uh, there is really only so much that I think the the sponsors can do in terms of pushing riders onto mm -hmm. them. I think that that sort of thing works at the Tour of Qatar. I think that that works uh, less well at the Tour de France. I mean, there was a time when you'd see riders with toe clips in a peloton among riders with clipless pedals, <laughs> and to us nowadays, that's insanity. Right. But it was there was a time. There was a time when people wanted to ride toe clips. I mean, I think. Was it Sean Kelly, one of the last yep. holdovers who Correct. just refused for like a, at least a season and a half to give up the toe clips? Two, two seasons, yeah. Things like that. You'll look back on it in 10, 15 years. It'll probably seem a little nutty. Yep. Well, one of the reasons we didn't see a whole lot of new bikes last year was because a lot of the brands had gone all in on their mm. disc brake development. And then there was the flap of, you know, somebody getting... Flap of skin. Yeah, there was a flap of skin. <laughs> you know, somebody getting, you know, supposedly, quote unquote, injured by a disc brake. Uh, and, and the UCI sort of went through that, yeah, right. that yeah. rebanning period. So we didn't see a lot of new bikes last year, presumably because a lot of those brands had, had gone all in on developing disc bikes. So now we're kind of seeing those disc bikes come out again this year, and the brands are sort of saying, well, we have this technology. It works for the consumer. The, the racers will make their own decisions, but these bikes are here. So I think we're going to see a lot of disc brake version bikes uh, hitting the market. Uh, I don't know that we'll see them in the race. And we like that because we like disc brakes. Well, well, regardless of whether you're on a disc brake bike or a new tarmac or whatever, a bike with a dropper post, you can, of course, look to Velofix to get your bike fixed. It's a mobile bike shop. Absolutely. And you can go to velofix.com slash velonews for a chance to win some great prizes. What again are those prizes, Kaylee? Uh, you can win a pair of road pedals or a pair of mountain bike pedals. And with that, uh, either a Jaguar Pro brake cable kit or a Pro Shift lightweight cable kit, plus one Velofix major tune-up, which is the you know tip-to-tail, everything you need to get fixed on your bike. Uh, it's worth quite a lot of money. All you got to do is go to velofix.com slash velonews. Maybe. Sign up and you're entered to win. Maybe that's why Fred isn't in today is because he's just spending the entire day trying to rebuild his bike and tune it up. Mm. We should have told him about the Velofix thing. It's going to take him more than one day. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. So Sorry, gross. Fred. <laughs> um, well, 
guys, there is a new cycling film coming out. And I think we got to talk. It's like about breaking it. away, right? It's like American a, Flyers. Uh, Safe to call it a work of art. A little more like Talladega Nights for cycling. <laughs> it's called Tour de Pharmacy. Um, we don't know a whole lot about it actually. There's a couple trailers floating around. Let's play some audio from this yeah, trailer we, real quick. This is going to give you an idea what to expect. The 1982 cycling event of the year. Is it definitely something fishy going on? It was a very fucked up year for bicycle riding. I did it with nothing but my own blood, sweat, and tears, and extra blood. Nearly every rider was on drugs. I'm here with Gustav Ditters. Looked like you were carrying a few extra pounds. This is what happens when you train super hard on the bicycle. Adrian Baton, the great French mystery. It was my first time in public as a man. Oh, 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 oh. what a hot chick. And I think I nailed it. The race! Cyclists are incredible athletes as far as endurance goes, but a great deal of them fight like little bitches. People dope. Yeah. You know, this is a sport with literally hundreds of dollars on the line and dozens of fans that stakes are medium. <laughs> so <Yep>. it's ridiculous. <laughs> this is, it's a spoof. Um, it's riddled with uh, some pretty big names, pretty yeah. big Hollywood names. Run us through the uh, run us through the actors, Spencer. I'm using the word actors <laughs> loosely, <laughs> quite loosely, because Lance Armstrong's in it. All right, we've got yeah, or- new actor. Yeah. All right, we've got Orlando Bloom, Ooh. Kevin Bacon, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Yes, um, that's a good one. John Senna, the professional wrestler. Andy Samberg's in this, and he's also, I think, the producer, director, or something like that. I don't know how the Hollywood stuff works. <laughs> um, Maya Rudolph, uh, Danny Glover. It's ridiculous. Uh, to, <laughs> Lance Armstrong. So, yeah, Lance, let's get to that in a sec. Um, <laughs> right off the bat, I mean, what was your initial reaction to these trailers? So, I mean, I think when you first see it, you just sort of take a big sigh and go, oh, not again. Yeah. Not another, not another portrayal of cycling in, in media that is, that is embarrassing. That's just Nate. totally embarrassing and doping related. That's yeah. like just tied to doping all the time. However, I've taken a step back yeah. and I've watched it a couple more times. The trailer, you just put, it on, re- put it on repeat. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's uh, funny. I think it's going to be. Well, I'm not saying it's going to be good. Mm. The fact that it's not going to theaters is going just to HBO is maybe an indicator that it's not going to be the best yeah. movie in the world. Yeah. However, I think it's going to be funny. Uh, and I think that cycling, we're in a place now where maybe we can we can start laughing at ourselves a little bit. This is this is our Weird Al moment, you know. When yeah. when a major when a major musician gets spoofed by Weird Al, it's like you either you either react by getting pissed or you react by saying, "I've finally made it." Weird Al is making fun of me, and I really think this is cycling's moment for us to decide: Are we going to laugh at this, or are we going to be pissed about it? And I think at this point, you just got to laugh and say it is a little ridiculous. And 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 I think now that that they've decided that this is something worth laughing at, we should laugh with them. Dan, I think that pretty much summarizes like the steps of, uh, not grief, but, but um, <laughs> grief to acceptance. My, to, my, yeah. my, my reaction, kind of like Haley, I was probably more negative right off the bat where I was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. <laughs> and I was not happy at first. I thought about it some more. Dan's totally right. This you know, like I said, Talladega Nights or uh, Slapshot or you name it, Happy Gilmore. I 
I think maybe it's going to be a stretch for it to be as good as those movies on yeah. face value. Maybe we cycling fans and cyclists will enjoy it more just because it taps into some of those <laughs> things that we've shaken our heads at over the years. I think the other consideration to, is just that this silly movie's not going to change people's minds. No, no. no. If you like cycling, you're going to keep liking cycling. Maybe you're going to hate Andy Samberg, <laughs> which isn't that hard, which isn't that big. Most people probably have a little bit of that. He's kind of annoying. Um, but, and then someone who doesn't know cycling, they're still going to be like, oh yeah, Lance Armstrong, doping. Yep. But, um, but to the point of Lance Armstrong, I think this Lance. is... Lance. Yeah, Lance. Here's my bone. My bone to pick with this is that he's got a cameo. And... Uh, it's like I think this is a little too far and I it's just in bad taste because he's just he's the face of doping and cycling basically yeah. when it comes down to it and to have him appearing in a spoof movie to me is just it just twists the knife a little and it's like you know what just just go away like we don't we don't need this and it's going to just bring up some sad bad memories from from the era when when this when when Lance was was out there and more of a part of the cycling world. Yeah, I feel like if you if you if you make the movie entirely without any real cyclists or cycling in it. It makes it easier to swallow as a cyclist because it makes it easier to just say, "Haha, that's a funny spoof." Right, and the second you put Lance inside it, it like you said, it, it sort of twists the knife. It feels a little bit, um, it, it feels a little bit closer to home when you have a real a real cyclist in there, as opposed to like Dolph Lundgren on a bicycle. I, that doesn't bear a whole lot of resemblance to the actual Tour de France. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to mention, like the first line of the trailer is something about 1982 being the drug year. It was yeah. like pre EPO. Yeah. There's, there's some there's some fact checking they could have done. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it was on purpose, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, although I wonder, is this movie going to be admissible as evidence to the Lance Ooh. Armstrong fraud trial that will happen this fall? Well, uh, whistleblower. Maybe trial. that's why Lance did it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he needs some cash. Maybe he agreed to get paid in 2018 uh, after after he potentially loses 96 million dollars. Uh, well, in the fraud case. Yeah, I think we're all going to watch it, right? We got to yeah. see what it's all about. Oh yeah, the jury's out. Um, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more about it. We'll do a Velenu's podcast review. When does it come out? June or pff, I did this when we were talking. <laughs> July. It comes out July eight, uh, conveniently, mm. right at the end of the first week of the Tour de France. Sweet, big uh, headline grab there. All right, and uh, it's on only. HBO though, like you said. Oh, sorry, what was that? I was gonna say it might be the only cycling you can actually watch on TV in America. Uh, Tour well, de France, you'd be actually, right. tours on NBC. <laughs> oh, and NBC Sports. Strike that from the record. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. <laughs> I'll just go back to being silent over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next up, we got an interview that I did with uh, Jeff Byers, who's a pretty interesting character in the cycling industry. He's a former NFL player, and um, now he's way into cycling. And he's got a company that he works with that produces this topical uh, lactate buffering lotion stuff. It's, it's pretty cool, but really the conversation is a lot more about how he went from being a NFL lineman and a collegiate football national champion to being an avid cyclist and um, talked to him at Sea Otter day after we did a 135-ish mile ride from San Francisco to Monterey. So he can definitely hang, even though he's a very large man. He's got no problem riding on a bike. 
Um, Puts out some big power. Yeah, he's a really interesting character. So stay tuned for that interview after the break. First, we got to talk to you about Health IQ. This week's podcast is also supported by Health IQ, a life insurance company that rewards you for getting off the couch and onto your bike. They've spent years compiling data on healthy folks like us and are using it to provide special rates on life insurance for health conscious people. That includes runners, strength trainers, cyclists, even vegans. Even vegans. Ew, tofu, gross. <laughs> we know our listeners ride, so support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates, specifically for cyclists. Get a quote at healthiq.com slash velonews. Healthiq.com slash velonews. All right, so we're here with Jeff Byers, and Jeff has an interesting backstory. He is a big cyclist now, but uh, in the past he was a professional in a totally different kind of sport. And uh, Jeff, why don't you take it away and give us a quick synopsis of your history as as an athlete, which goes way back, but um, maybe just the highlights. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Colorado, and I grew up in the outdoors. My uh, my family's big in the outdoors. I grew up mountain biking. I grew up outside of Fort Collins, mountain biking with my dad, um, et cetera. But, uh, I, I soon, uh, gained a lot of weight and, uh, realized that, uh, uh, riding a bike required low kilos and I was a high kilo guy. Um, and I gravitated towards football and, uh, I was very fortunate enough in high school to be, uh, be very good at very, very good at high, uh, at football. I was actually the Gatorade player of the year, um, which is the top rated high school football player. Um, and I transitioned that and I went to University of Southern California and, uh, played, played for the Trojans, won a national championship, was a two-time captain and was very, very lucky to have the opportunity to play in the NFL. I played four years in the NFL. I started a handful of games, um, and uh, retired after four years to pursue uh, other passions of mine and, and uh, you know, move on with my life. There's a lot of things I was passionate about. Riding my bike was one of them, and uh, I was an offensive lineman. I played at 310 was my playing weight in the NFL, and uh, um, if anybody, you know, everybody listening to this podcast knows at 310 you have a big kilo pro- problem on a bike. I've, when I was playing, I broke a lot of cranks, a lot of crankshafts. <laughs> Um, I got to know the mechanic very, very well, um, and he literally just stopped selling me new parts <laughs> and put on old junk parts because he's like, you're just going to break it and bring it back in, which is great, um, economical, but I still got to ride my bike, and uh, I retired, and I lost uh, I lost 70 pounds in the first three months of retirement, and then I'm uh, down 90 total, and so I'm still... Uh, I'm still a big man for a cyclist at, at 230, but uh, I'm a very fit 230, and I really love to ride my bike. And uh, it's something that I've gravitated to. Uh, you know, my, Some of my fondest memories as a kid are watching the Tour de France with my dad. Um, I remember growing up, you know, he would stay home for, late from work um, in the morning, and we'd watch, uh, we'd watch the Tour in July. And then he'd go to work, and I'd go out and you know, try to be the guys riding in the subdivision, right? You know, finish at the top of the climbs with my little brother, and those are great memories of cycling. And so, cycling's always been been very uh, very special to me. I, I mean, I've always followed it, uh, and it's great to be very active, uh, active in it. And there's a lot of reasons why I think cycling's a great fit um, for me, and and it's part of this. Uh, cycling's a humbling sport, right? Everybody knows that. 
anybody can get humbled on the bike, no matter if, you know, you're the very best rider at the top of your game, uh, if you're Peter Sagan or if you're or me or if you're somebody who's just picking up a bike, doesn't matter, you can get humbled um, if you choose to humble yourself. And I think that's a very, very, a very cool thing about cycling. Um, but also, I think something universal about athletes um, and people who, uh, to love that is this, uh, this thing around suffering and the ability to suffer and push yourself to your absolute limits. And for me, I found uh, what I love most about cycling is this suffering aspect of it. Um, Am I a sick individual because of that? Probably. (laughs) And uh, most people who love cycling are. Um, But suffering is something that... uh, I go back to the humbling thing, um, but it's something you learn, and it's something that you know, makes us all stronger. And it's so, so important to me that I know I can get on the bike and suffer and put myself in a zone that creates peace. And that peace comes out of suffering. So uh, compared to to being an NFL player, surely there's some suffering involved in in that profession as well. What's the, what's the comparison between, between, I don't know, starting an NFL game or doing all the training through the summertime and, uh, and going out and doing like, you know, yesterday you, we, we did a ride together with this big group, 100 and, 136 miles or so from San Francisco down to Monterey for Sea Otter Classic. So give me the comparison there. Suffering is universal. Um, it's different. Uh, it's a different type of suffering in the NFL, right? Uh, when you're playing in the NFL, a lot of the suffering is just the pain your body undergoes to be able to get up in the morning and literally just say, I have to be able to run today. And it's that that willpower, that mindset to say, all right, I literally just got in 50 car accidents yesterday. Every play is a car accident. I need to force my mind to get up, bend over, lift weights, go out to practice, and hit people again. Um, and now there is a lot of suffering in training camp, um, right? Double days. Uh, I played three years for the Panthers and, you know, it's 110 degrees with 100% humidity in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And there'd be days you'd lose nine, 10 pounds of practice. Um, oh and it's, it's that will to say, right, I got to get ready. I got to go again. Whereas cycling is very, very similar. It's a different kind of suffering. It is, you know, I can't let this hill. I can't let, you know, whatever it may be win. Um, and it's just, it's the grind out repetitive just get in the zone, suffer, 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 um, and learn to thrive in it. And uh, football is the same way. You have to learn to thrive under when you're suffering, when it, when you're uncomfortable. I had a coach that said the greatest players love to be uncomfortable. They learn to love to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's no different in cycling yeah. or basketball, whatever. You have to find that, and that's your suffer zone. Um, and so it's very, it's a different type of suffering, but suffering's universal. It's in your mind. Um, so did you, um, when you were playing, did, did you get any of your teammates out on rides with you or were you the total odd duck going out for, uh, for, for, for bike rides for training or, or just to relax? Um, I rode almost exclusively by myself. I do have a very good friend who, uh, who he actually rode 
to work every day, work um, in the NFL every day. He lived, uh, I bet he lived two miles from the stadium, mm-hmm. but he rode, he rode a fixie into work, a steel fixie into work every day. He was a tight end from Boise. Um, he's still one of my very close friends, and he's retired too, and he's down a bunch of weight, and uh, he rides all the time now as well. Um, but we, you know, we were the guys that went on three-day camping trips and backpacking trips in the Appalachians, and just, I would say we are different birds, um, just from from that yeah yeah that's cool i mean it, it probably was a nice escape i gotta think from from just the grind of an nfl season yeah i mean everybody has their outlets um and you go to you go to what you know and what you enjoy and i love being outside and i love being on a bike because it reminds me of some of the greatest memories i had as a kid um but it's also one of those things that's very different than football it's very linear very rhythmic whereas football is not as rhythmic as cycling um football is very uh jerky stop go stop go stop go and thus um getting it in something in rhythmic where you can set a tempo and keep it up and just get in that zone was very unique for me and still to this day it's it's my it's a big release yeah i can definitely see how that would be the case um uh, you know, one thing that I think about and and that we all wonder about as we're, you know, really engrossed in pro racing and cycling is everyone always, you know, talks about doping and cycling and how it's just always an issue. And I always kind of wonder what the comparison is to mainstream sports like like NFL football or any of the others. And you, you kind of have an interesting perspective having being having been in, on the inside. Um, do you, what what do you think? Is this um, is cycling just is it more visible in the sport, or is it? Uh, do you, do you think that uh, uh, like the NFL, for instance, do they do a better job with PR basically when it comes to comes to that sort of thing? I think in all high level, the upper echelon of every sport is is a, is dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are more in the public eye than others, and some organizations do better than others at whatever PR or just marketing, right? You had the huge steroid thing in baseball, football by no means is clean. You know, there was a, a, lots of steroid era in, in football. Um, and so there's, there's, there's no question in my mind that across a level, if you are at the upper echelon of sport, there's dirty because it's dirty just because the athlete at that level their livelihood is based upon performance and some people, I mean, I don't ever judge anybody for, for whatever they do that we all make our own choices and we all sleep in the bed we made and their livelihood is to play sports. And if somebody gives them the opportunity to do something different, I, I, I bless. I was never in that situation, but if you have to make that decision, I, that's a decision you're making for your family. You know the repercussions. Everybody knows the repercussions of cheating, of of doping, and uh, so I, I I don't think it's a it's a cycling or a football or a baseball thing. I think it is um, a societal thing, right? We put such a a huge thing on winning, and that's what sports about. And so, people since the beginning of competitive sport have been doing everything it takes to win, and uh, I'm not not surprised that people make that choice because we as a society put that emphasis on winning and that's that's what makes sport sport and that's why you have 
governing bodies to hopefully keep the playing field level. And I know cycling has done a fantastic job in testing and all of this. And football is doing a great job and baseball continuing to evolve. And there's going to continue to be loopholes in this. And so it's it's something that... Uh, you know, cycling has had a dramatic shift in the last decade. Um, there's going to be another sport that comes to the forefront of doping, of quote unquote doping or banned substance use. Mm. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's just, um, it's just interesting to think about, especially just because different sports have different demands on the body, and there's different ways you can kind of, you know, take advantage of it. And but, um, all right. Well, one last football question. We won't talk okay. too much football because I know our listeners aren't exactly NFL fans. I certainly like watching football during the fall, but um, just. Um, this is the fun one, though. So is there a player in the NFL who you think could make it as a pro cyclist? That's a great question. No. Uh, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> here, here's the issue. The smallest guy in the NFL is 210. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure there's a guy who could shed weight, but as we all know that, you know, it, it, if watts are the only thing that mattered, a lot of guys could be pro cyclists, but there's this important thing after watts. It's per kilo. Yeah. Um, could be a track sprinter, though, maybe. Like, you could see maybe some of those guys getting on the velodrome. Okay. Velodrome guys, our... Yes, there could be some very, very competitive guys. Um, you know, I... Oh, man. Okay. I w I'm thinking roadies. <laughs> velodrome guys, our power. Um, yeah, there's probably... A big handful of guy, guys, obviously with incredible training, um, because like with any sport, it you just can't jump on a bike and be great. No, of course not. Um, this, is, this is total fantasy scenario yeah. here. We're not even. This is way way beyond reality. <laughs> I don't know who I'd pick, but I'm sure there's guys that uh, with the right coaching and the right training program um, could transition into pretty competitive cyclist would it be like a wide receiver type guy or more of a running back uh, i would say probably a running back um they are just power power for power for people they, they have very big legs where receivers are uh thinner and and uh more fast twitch where a a, a, a true a really true unique back would have like big strong repetitive power that they could just power through and then, so, flip side, are there any pro cyclists that you think, like, would conceivably have the... I mean, obviously, a lot of them are really small, but I'm thinking maybe, like, Marcel Kittle or some of the really tall, big sprinter guys. I mean, could you see someone like that if they lived in a totally alternate world, bulking up and becoming an NFL player? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think cycling has a unique, uh, a unique skill set where a cyclist can transfer easier to other athletics because cycling um, is so much about suffering. Um, so, so much of cy cycling is about your ability to suffer and be uncomfortable. Like the mental aspect the, of it. The, the mental aspect. And that's the hardest aspect to master in any other sport. I played with a lot of guys in the NFL that were there because they were really talented, not because they knew how to suffer well. And so being able to suffer allows you to be very good if you have that training because right if you're a 190 pound sprinter cyclist like you know how to suffer we'll find a way to put 30 pounds on you and if like you're not afraid to suffer you're going to be good at something there's always a role a role for you um in any sport yeah. so so there you have it you know i mean the Lions aren't looking so good. Maybe Marcel Kittle, you know, bring them on, give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, they need a lot more than that. <laughs>
Sorry, Lions fans. So, Jeff, it's really cool to me uh, as also how you've made this transition from, you know, you were in one sport that you loved as a job, as a football player, and now you're in the cycling world and you are working with a, a new company that's... Um, that uh, has this, it's a product that's pretty interesting, a little different from anything I've seen recently, and it's um, it's a uh, topical ointment that helps you buffer lactic acid. So tell me a little more about this company and just how you got involved with them and um, just the sort of the rundown. Yeah, so uh, the the product you're talking about is called Topical Edge. It's a sports performance lotion, um, but by way of background, our company is actually a biotech company. Um, we developed a really incredible technology to get things through the skin uh, in a very safe and efficacious way. We actually developed it for the medical space, and the majority of our business is focused on that. Uh, I got asked to join a year and a half ago, and uh, I was a really early hire part of the initial team at this biotech company. Um, and we made a decision that we were going to do something pretty cool in the sports industry. And that, that was... Uh, create a, a, a topical product that actually buffers lactic acid. Um, and so it's called Topical Edge. And the, the punchline is where we use sodium bicarbonate, which is simply baking soda. We combine it with our, with our proprietary and patented technology that we developed in the medical space. Um, and it's in the form of a lotion. You apply it to your, to your active muscle groups, pre-ride um, for, for added performance and also recovery. And then you can add it post-ride for, for additional recovery. It's, it's a really, really incredible product. We have, uh, we have early, early data and early clinical trial be, uh, behind it right now where we show we're able to reduce blood lactate. Um, but the basic, the basic gist of it is um, your muscles throw off two things when they're working. It th they throw off lactate and hydrogen ions. Um, hydrogen ions is acid. Lactate is actually a, a fuel that your body continue to use. The general public considers that lactic acid. Um, but hydrogen ions are pulled out of the muscle by bicarb. So bicarbonate neutralizes acid. That's its role in the body. Bicarbonate also brings lactate back out of the blood and into the muscle for more fuel. And so our, our, when we started thinking about this product was, well, that's what we want to do. And so can we get bicarb in? The answer was yes. Um, and, uh, we're just, we're just really getting going. We're working some incredible teams. We're working with rally cycling, which most of your readers know is one of the top, uh, pro continental domestic teams here. We've had, uh, some other elite, elite, some of the best riders in the world started, uh, kind of getting wind of what we're doing, which is very, very cool. And so you, you were telling me yesterday about some kind of, some kind of crazy, uh, rat, uh, you're, you're acting a little bit like, uh, the lab rat for this uh, when you're testing out some of the some of the options to get uh, that sodium bicarb into your system. Uh, do you have any of that? Do you have any yeah. of these wild stories you can share? Yeah. So early on, um, I, some of you might be familiar with orally taking sodium bicarbonate. It's, it's a very common practice with maybe track racers and some of the high end guys doing TTs. Um, it's got great science behind it when you take it orally. The issue with sodium bicarbonate when you take it orally, its role is to neutralize acid. Your stomach is acidic. Um, if we all think back to high school uh, chemistry class, when you mix acid in a 
and and sodium bicarbonate, you basically make the volcano you made in, in science <laughs> class. The problem is that volcano's in your stomach, and uh, the CO2 that comes off of it has to go somewhere. Um, and that somewhere is either up or it's down, <laughs> and both ways are very, very bad. Um, and so in testing of this, right, in testing, we, we wanted to figure out, hey, like, what does aura look like? oral versus topical and so we all had to uh not we all a handful of the athletes in the office were like well let's we need to start testing it well you know is there any kind of efficacy here should we invest any money into this um and we all drank loads of bicarb and we ran 800 meter sprints and let me tell you uh if you drink a lot of bicarb and you wait about 35 minutes and then you go run 800s around a track um Wear a couple pairs of underwear. Bring a couple pairs of underwear um, because you're in for a fun ride. <laughs> oh man, that is uh, that's God's work right there. That's yeah. uh, you know, thank you for not subjecting us to that in the ride yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so, did your background with um, as a football player kind of lead you into this new position and with this biotech company? Yeah. So. Um, I got my MBA while I was still playing and I transitioned out of football into the financial world. And, uh, I was in the financial world for a couple of years and just, uh, um, had a, had an itch to, to be in an early stage company, be a part of the early team and really build a business. It was really important to me. And I came across uh, our CEO and chairman and I really uh, hit it off with these guys and and they knew they didn't need any more science guys they wanted doers you know people who know how to suffer um right people who who would put the hours in work learn didn't think they knew it all um and we had this idea of this you know sports performance business and uh you know, I had brought a, a little different skill set in the financial being, and I, I helped with some of that. And then when we decided we were actually going to commercialize Edge, it was just the natural fit for me as an athlete to go out and be the guy who, who leads this part of the business. Um, and honestly, it's uh, I go home and my wife asked me how my day was. And I'm like, well, I got to ride my bike today for work. Like, can you believe it? Like, this is silly. Yeah. Um, who would have thought I would I'd be here? So Yeah, it's better than getting smacked around by, like, 275-pound defensive lineman, right? <laughs> I wish they were 275. Um, <laughs> they were normally much larger than I was, and like I said, I was 310. But you know, to me, to me, um, ri- being able to call work riding um, and call it business development and et cetera, and being at Sea Otter with all the great people and doing this and doing the ride we did yesterday, mm-hmm. right? I've ne- I'd never ridden that far in my life, um, nice. and it was like. One of my most memorable days I'll ever have. Like, right, we we rode with some of the uh, one of the best pros in the world, um, and some former great pros, and just an outstanding crew of people. And to be there and ride in such a great group with camaraderie for a great cause, and then at the end of the day, be like, "Yeah, I worked today too." (laughs) It was pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely couldn't agree more. And um, it's gonna be hard to top that. But um, uh, I guess the last question then: What's uh, What's like your real bucket list cycling event now that now that you can fully devote yourself to cycling? <sighs> fully devote myself. Well, not a, no, obviously. <laughs> well, now that you're like just 100% cyclist. I'm 100%. Yeah. Um, that's a really great, great question. Being a Colorado kid, um, Leadville 100 would be very, very, very cool. Um, there's also the, what, uh, the 
Hout route. I think I'm saying it right. Yeah, the hood route. Yeah, route that's going through uh, through Colorado this year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I got exposed to that. I'm like, that seems really, really incredible. I'm a little scared to enter anything too racy. My competitive juices are so strong that <laughs> when there's like places at stake, like I, I, I don't know how to not make it a, a race um and like like all right i got five months to train to win like i don't know anything but that and that's uh that's my challenge with balancing racing versus riding for love nice well hopefully you'll make it out for one of those and um hopefully i'm not racing against you based on what you're telling me about your competitive drive yeah, I need to I need to get rid of my kilo problem if I'm going to be competitive. <laughs> well, that's Jeff Byers. Thanks again, Jeff. It's really, really fun to ride with you yesterday and interesting to hear your story. Yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. That was a really interesting interview, Spencer. Uh, I'm always interested to hear what athletes from other sports have to say about about cycling and and the ways that they've entered cycling and how sort of how it compares to where they come from yeah and it's cool because he really legitimately loves riding bikes and he's he's kind of been into it since he was pretty young too so awesome yeah you never know with uh those guys you watch on the sundays in the fall the football players it's, it's totally possible they could be out there riding bikes too could be in cycling well, before we close out today, we have one final question to go around the podcast here. Because they're adding dropper posts to the Mavic Neutral Sport Bikes, I wonder what other mountain bike technology we'd like to see filter into pro road racing. Spencer, you look excited about your answer here. Uh, I, I, I would have thought you'd have come up with this one, Kaylee, but... Um Fanny packs. Oh, you took mine. <laughs> Did I take yours? <laughs> hmm. Sorry. I like Sorry, that. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. I, I, really, I mean, fanny packs. I ride fanny packs on a road bike all the time. They would need a special small-sized one for Chris Froome to fit around <laughs> his waist. Uh, a bum bag for anyone in the yeah, UK. Proper Last, bum bag, oh boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Last time we talked about fanny packs on the show, I had a bunch of British people tweeting at me telling me they were called bum bags. So mm. now we know. Okay. Bum bag. Well, there's other technology out there. What do you guys think? Uh, Dan, I know he just saw your idea. Got another one? I think uh, road clipless pedals with big platforms so that Chris Froome has more stability when he's on the top tube spinning. Oh, and well, he can stick a foot out, right? Yeah. That's or, what I want. Or if the neutral sport bike doesn't have the right pedal, go. it's got enough of a platform to pedal yeah. on. That's a pretty good one. I would love to see Chris Froome, you know, tripoding it down. Right? Mm, sticking some major mountain passes. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I mean, the way he descends, it w wouldn't put a pass in. Right. He gets rad. I think rad. we've seen Sagan do that before, actually. He gets really I, rad. I feel like there's a video out there of Sagan, like, just goofing around. around a corner. <laughs> Man, puts, puts Sagan in some uh, mountain bike-style knee and arm pads. He could descend like a champ. Mm. Take some risks. Yeah, yeah, some pads. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that actually wouldn't be a bad idea. That's, that's some, pretty good idea. pads. I don't necessarily want mountain bike tech to enter, but I think enduro-style timing systems would be kind of cool within mm. pro road racing i yeah. know that we scrapped the segments. descending prize but yeah fastest segments you know yeah. maybe maybe it could be a flat section or uphill section or rolling section or something like that. i think that would be kind of a cool way to add another element for uh for those guys that are not shooting for the gc hammer series hammer, hammer series, series likes to try weird stuff there you go hammer, hammer series. series could do some some segments do an enduro style That'd be sweet. Well, I guess probably more like a rally, rally yeah. style. Right? Oh, yeah, and you, and, you know, they could put pads on, full face helmets, and do some downhill stuff. Mm -hmm. 
the possibilities are limitless. <laughs> uh, well, we brought Fred back just to read the outro copy. So here he is. Uh, well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on velonews.com. Subscribe to the Vel News podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Vela News on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Vela News podcast is produced by Vela News, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Vela News podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Pretty Classic Soul Drums. Oh, 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 oh,